Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Discussions in Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Britton. And I'm Jiren. And this week, we're going to be discussing the new sourcebook for 5th edition, titled Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Tasha's has introduced new and optional rules for character creation, as well as a ton of new subclasses for players to choose from. This week, we're focusing on the Barbarian and Bard classes and everything that Tasha has to offer for them. And in the sake of going alphabetically, um, I guess I'll go ahead and uh, start. So I picked Barbarian this week, um, and Jaren picked the Bard class. So overall, I think that the Barbarian class has been pigeonholed into just being a combat class would you agree yeah certainly they're you know they're a strength-based class and they're kind of looked at as the the hard-hitting uh get in there and deal a lot of damage class yeah and i i feel like as um as a player i never really want to play barbarians because you know my play style isn't go in there with big muscles and swing and break everything you know it it's it can be a little bit pigeonholy when it comes to barbarians it's they have one job it's to take their axe and make sure that nobody is standing at the end of the day yeah certainly certainly i i think that um tasha's has definitely elevated what barbarians can be especially with their optional class features um so getting right into it uh they offer the primal knowledge optional class feature which starts at level three and then augments again at level 10. Um, you can choose to gain proficiency in one skill available to you from the barbarian skill list uh, that's available to you at level one. Me personally, I'm really glad that this made this into the class um, because, you know, say you want to have not just athletics or not just any sort of strength-based or con-based or anything like that, you can choose to make your barbarian a little bit different. Um, you can make it however you want which I think uh, opens up the door for a specific and catered sort of barbarian. I think that to a lesser degree, this feature does mimic the bard and rogue feature of expertise uh, regarding level-based skill bonuses. Um, I do think that level-based skill bonuses should actually be available to all classes. Um, I don't know how you feel about this as a DM, um, but I think, you know, as... As we know, there is a system for learning tools or language proficiency in the player's handbook, um, but there's nothing for skills. I I think there should be a reward for players and characters that are trying to learn a new skill using the narrative um, or their own downtime. Um, what, what do you usually think when people want to um, do things like that, like gain uh, like skill proficiencies? Well, personally, I felt that uh, those sorts of things, skill-based proficiencies, and to uh, a, a more general sense, feats um, should be more rewards for what you do in your downtime, for how your players acted over time, for the things that they've decided to train themselves in. Your your skill proficiencies, I think, could be definitely included in that, and the you know feats shouldn't be a thing that you are forced to take or have to take at fourth level because they're the only good thing, but it should be like a bonus reward based on what your character has done. So I, I agree that. Um, skill-based proficiencies, things where your character specifically spent downtime trying to get better at something, or maybe not even downtime, just the actions that they've taken over the course of the game should be rewarded um, in terms of 
maybe you gain proficiency in, in, a, in a new skill because you've been practicing that for an extended period. Exactly. Like, I mean, you know, barbarians sometimes are not the sneakiest people, but hey, what if your barbarian teams up with your rogue and your rogue is like, hey, buddy, I noticed that you're clinking and clanking around a hell of a lot. I'm going to teach you how to be sneaky. And for the next five or six sessions or 10 sessions, maybe your barbarian sits down with your rogue and they practice whenever they have a short rest they're practicing or maybe the rogue is having him stand with like a plate on his head with an apple and he's like all right don't make the apple fall and like you know things like that i think can be really narratively fun and could be a way for um for player characters to gain those skill proficiencies you're not going to break the game because your cleric can now sneak with proficiency you know yeah 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 certainly um, so moving right along, uh, Instinctive Pounce is the next optional class feature, and that is for 7th level. Um, as a part of a bonus action when you rage, you can move up to half of your speed. Um, I think this is a pretty cut and dry optional feature. It makes the Barbarian more mobile and effective in fights. Um, I will say that optimally, that you would only use this feature and the feature that it does replace Feral Instincts once per com combat. Like, you don't really want to be jumping in and out of rage. Just like uh, Feral Instincts, it applies when you roll initiative. You gain advantage on the initiative roll, and you are allowed to act normally during a surprise round. So optimally, you'd only use both of those once. So it, the, I think this feature just allows the player more freedom to decide um, how they want their barbarian to act in combat. Yeah, I like that. It, it, it gives you some uh, options, whether or not you want to engage right away or... Uh, move in closer first and then uh, and then rage and kind of move around in, in, on the on the field yeah yeah exactly um so this brings us to our first new subclass which is path of the beast now um barbarians in this path they draw upon a bestial aspect of themselves um be it you know from a a lycanthropic heritage or maybe an ancient animal spirit that dwells within them or a fey spirit um, but they use that when they rage to physically transform themselves um, with these aspects of the beast level three feature that you get from this is called form of the beast uh, when you enter your rage it causes you to physically manifest a weapon that is an augmentation to your body and you know any sort of bestial augmentation i immediately think of alter self as the spell because you can manifest physical weapons or you can get gills or things like that so i was like okay well this is kind of replacing the alter self spell in a good way um when you rage you can either choose bite claw or tail it uh, changes i think bite is 1d8 piercing damage from the bite uh, and you if you are under half health you regain hit points equal to your proficiency bonus um, your claw attack does 1d6 slashing and you, if you make a claw attack this way as the attack action, you can make an additional attack as a part of the same action. Um, your tail, you grow a long uh, spiny tail, does 1d8 piercing damage, and it has reach. And if an attack within 10 feet of you hits you, you can use your reaction to roll a d8 and add that to your AC, possibly causing it to miss. Um, so in my opinion, it's alter self, um, but you just have to stay mad rather than concentrating. Yeah, but when is a barbarian that enters rage ever not mad? They're, 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 if they enter rage, they're planning on being in rage for a while. Very, very true. Um, I, I've played one barbarian in my life, and maybe this is cheating. I don't know, but like, if there's a moment where uh, 
I may not be mad or I may not have taken damage. I'll like press my hand into my axe and like do that damage to myself. So I'll take self-inflicted damage to stay mad, um, to stay raging. I don't know if that's bending the rules, but hey, you got to do what you got to do to stay mad. I've certainly seen that done before. Yeah. Stranger things have happened. So at level six, you get bestial soul. Um, your natural weapons from the form of the beast feature are now magical. And after a long or short rest, you can choose uh, one of the following benefits. You can get underwater breathing and swim speed equal to your walking speed. Uh, you can choose climbing speed equal to your walking speed. And you can climb on any surface, including upside down, without a check. Um, when jumping, you can make a strength athletics check and extend your jump by a number of feet equal to the check's total. Possibly, optimally, you could do like 25 feet, an extra 25 feet of jump. Wow, that's, I, I don't know what to make of that. That's very useful. <laughs> I'm not sure we're... It can only happen once per turn, but I mean, th- this is what I'm talking about. Um, that these, these subclasses are for the more creative problem solver of the group that just happen to choose Barbarian as their class. Um, I think that this feature specifically makes this uh, subclass a really, really important addition to Barbarians, um, because sometimes it's tough to play a low intelligence character if you are a tactical thinker. Can you imagine a Barbarian climbing on the ceiling, dropping from <laughs> from above on, on top of your enemies? Right. Like, <laughs> use spider climb and hang upside down to drop on them and <laughs> cleave someone in half, possibly. Mm-hmm. Talk about a surprise round. Um, So level 10 is Infectious Fury. Um, You can now cause curses on the targets that you hit with your natural weapons. Uh, It's a wisdom saving throw against a spell save DC that is notated in the book. Um, You can either choose that the target must use the reaction to make an attack against another creature of your choice that you can see. So if they're trying to do pack tactics, um, you can make them hit one of their friends. Or the target takes 2d12 psychic damage. You're able to use these curses a number of times based off of your proficiency bonus per long rest. Personally, for me, I'm not too sure that I agree with it doing psychic damage, um, but that's just me. Maybe an additional force damage or something like that. Um, You know, I don't want to pigeonhole barbarians again, you know, how we're talking about that, but I just don't think of cerebral damage when I think of barbarians. I can understand, you know, for the argument that it's kind of like intimidation damage, like they're so scared that maybe that's why it's psychic damage, but it just seems weird. I I always think of psychic damage as someone like magically entering your brain and hurting you. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, It's it's a nice feature for sure, but you have a point that it may be, maybe psychic damage feels a little bit weird. Yeah. Uh, Like emotional damage. You really hurt their feelings. They're really scared of you. They're very, very intimidated. I I would like to notate that as a rule, it is consistent that Tasha's is changing the way that players interact with their proficiency bonus. Um, And what I mean by that is a lot of these class features are now based off of your proficiency bonus rather than your, you know, strength, whiz, dex, modifier, I've noticed that for certain spellcasting classes and, you know, obviously the Barbarian class, I think that it makes it a little bit balanced early game and it gives you a bonus late game because you have a plus six proficiency. So when you are 
really high level, you get that extra time that you can use this. Um, I think it's a cool thing because, you know, if you're a min-maxer, um, as I duck my head in shame and raise my hand like I am, um, <laughs> you know, like you try to make sure that you have a 20 in your main stat by like level three or four. Like you're trying to do that. And, you know, it makes it kind of hard for the DM. I would, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I would say it's kind of difficult when, you know, I'm able to do something and it's a plus five to the damage and I'm what, level three? Like, okay, well, NPCs have five health. Like, <laughs> right, right. And last but not least is the level 14 Call of the Hunt. Um, when you rage, choose number of creatures uh, that is equal to your con modifier within 30 feet. You gain five temporary HP for each creature that does accept the hunt. And each participant gains 1d6 damage on each attack. Um, you can use it as many times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest. Um, after I read this, I just kind of set the book down. I was like, this is insane. Each attack from everybody gets a plus d6 when you are level 14 people have three four attacks per round that's what optimally max of like 24 damage flat plus all of the other weapon damage this could clinch a fight or completely like end a fight before it even gets started totally that your barbarian uh, at max you know I, I tend to think of things at maximum range what could this do what five temp hp for each creature that accepts so 25 temp hp flat running into the fight where everybody else has a d6 bonus to their damage that is very strong it, it, thematically it feels like a a pack tactics sort of thing not in practice because that's not what pack tactics does but it feels like that um that pack tactics of let's all go into battle together and we're gonna get, get some sort of benefit because we're all attacking in the fight together and i think that's really cool yeah 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 um, this subclass kind of reminds me of Path of the Totem uh, from the Player's Handbook. Um, overall, I do think that this subclass is very, very interesting because it allows for creative problem solving by the player rather than, I'm big with muscles and I go smash. Um, barbarians and fighters both can be pigeonholed into a very combat-heavy role, and I think that having subclasses like this really, really help that um, that pitfall that people tend to... Uh, fall into you know as as a character creator yeah I, I see i mean especially that six level bestial soul where you can swim or climb on the walls or jump a little bit further that gives you a lot of different options and opportunities to solve the the problem that you're solving whether it's combat or whether it's trying to navigate terrain or just figure out you know how, how you're going to get from point a to point b it gives you a lot of options as a barbarian which is really unique yeah um so the next one that we do get, uh, unfortunately we only get two, uh, is Path of the Wild Magic. These barbarians manifest the magic that is permeating the world, um, and they can access it and transform themselves with it. Uh, at level three, you get a feature called Magic Awareness. Um, as an action, you are aware of the location and school of magic of any spell or magic item within 60 feet of you that isn't behind total cover. Um, now, you know, everybody that is familiar with 5e would have those alarm bells ringing in their head saying, but I'm the wizard and I cast detect magic. And now that's basically taking up my spell. Well, you are correct. It does only last for six seconds. Um, so it can't replace the spell, but its utility lies both in and out of combat, which I think is really cool. Um, you know, what if you're in an interrogation or you're standing in front of a king or 
someone has something that's creating a mind control, like, you know, that that Path of the Wild magic feature can the the barbarian can secretly just access this and know exactly what magical item is doing it and the school of magic and like it 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 makes me think about stuff like that rather than like oh there's the magic item it's oh maybe i'm in a room where i'm not supposed to be using magic but because of my magical awareness i can discern where these things are i gotta say that as somebody who's played a wizard quite a bit um, and has had access to detect magic. It's one of those spells that's really good when you can use it, but when you don't get to use it, it's kind of wasted. You're not really gonna, it's not a, a general utility spell. It's a specific spell that you use in certain scenarios. So it feels bad to take that spell and never get to use it and have it be a wasted spot. So to have this ability accessible as not a spell slot ability, uh, it's kind of neat. And I like the idea that, you know, it could be in a non-magic casting class to be able to to essentially cast a tech magic yeah. without using spell slots. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure uh, as these episodes go on and on and we get out of uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, I'm sure we are absolutely going to be having an episode of, as a player and as a DM, what spells are worthless? What spells do you regret taking? Exactly. What spells have you learned that are just wasted space in your head? <laughs> Definitely. Um, and additionally, at level three, you get Wild Surge. Uh, when you rage, you roll on the Wild Magic table in Tasha's Cauldron and everything. Um, I'm not going to read the entire table because it is uh, quite lengthy and um, it is something that is also Googleable. Um, but you roll a D8 for the effect. Um, generally, all of the effects on this table are either a buff to your damage or an AoE effect that is centered on you. Um, now... The wild magic table in Tasha's really bothers me for one specific reason is that there are no negative effects. All of them are positive. Um, and to me, that just doesn't seem wild. Um, wild magic to me obviously is like random, but also you don't know if it's a positive or negative outcome, which I think that's what makes it a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more fun. You know, sorcerers that roll on the wild magic table. At level five, you could accidentally cast fireball on yourself. Like, damn, do you really want to cast that spell? Are you sure? So, yeah, for me, I think that maybe if there were ten options and one of them being not necessarily bad, but, like, you also take damage. Um, maybe, like, you take 1d8 damage to do 2d8 damage maybe like a little sacrifice to do more i don't know something with some sort of drawback um you know i i understand that the only time that you would roll on the wild magic table in the player's handbook as a wild magic sorcerer is when you roll a one after you cast a spell um so it's one in 20 chance it's a five percent chance that this is going to happen and Every time you rage, you have to roll on the wild magic table for the path of wild magic. So it does come up a lot more. But I think, I don't know, because there's, you know, uh, later in this class, you have the ability, just like sorcerers, to choose what outcome when you roll on the wild magic table. That's pretty powerful, being able to choose. Yeah, because I'm, I'm glancing through these really quickly. There's some pretty good effects here. Uh, but as you mentioned, since this happens every time you enter a rage, and as a barbarian, you're entering rage constantly, 
Um, exactly. To add, add any sort of negative effect, make it like a one in one in eight or one in ten chance that it happens, might end up coming up way more frequently than you'd like. It might be a, an actual de- deterrent to entering rage, which obviously is not kind of the intent of, you know, what they were going for. So I, I don't know. Maybe it was play tested and they thought this is not turning out to be a not a good thing too often. Um, yeah. I, I will say that like looking through these. They're like none of them are negative. It's just some of them are way better than others. Some of them are just, you know, for example, uh, you get flowers and vines that grow around you until your rage ends, and the ground's difficult terrain. You know, that's not. It's not bad. It's just not uh, crazy strong like some of the other ones. Yeah, for sure. So moving into level six, it's bolstering magic. As an action, you touch a creature and can give one of these benefits to them. Uh, for ten minutes, you give a D three to their attacks and ability checks, or roll a d3 and that creature gains uh, regains a spell slot of that level and this may happen once per long rest for me this kind of feels like a wild magic thing to me only kind of restoring spell slots is nice but this uh feature just kind of feels confused like why a d3 um i get it's just kind of like a weaker version of um like the guidance can trip or i i don't know i I don't mean to harp too much on the wild magic uh, barbarian, but just for me, this level six feature just seems kind of confused. Like you buff D3 to their attacks and ability checks, or they can roll a D3 and regain one spell slot. So uh, what, what do you think? Maybe maybe I'm just harping, but what do you think? It seems like an okay feature. For, for being a level six, a six level feature, it seems a bit strange. Um, also, I can't be the only one looking at this for the first time going, what's a D3? Yeah, like, wh- <laughs> what is that? Why, why wouldn't they just do D4? <laughs> Wizards, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I think more more so it was for the sake of, like, they don't want a fourth level spell slot to be regained for a level six feature. So maybe limiting it to D3. Yeah. Or they just said Wizards... a D6 and round up. For, for the sake of me not having to get more dice or do this online, could you just say, like, a D4 minus one minimum of one? Oh. <laughs> please. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> and so that actually kind of flows into what I was saying earlier about, um, you know, this wild magic. Unstable backlash is level 10. Um, immediately after you take damage from an attack or fail a saving throw, you can use your reaction to roll on the wild magic table and create that effect. Um, for something that's called unstable... I think that there should be a potential downside to rolling on the wild magic table. Like it's unstable because you know you hit them and then the magic backlashes. But like, you know, I just I feel like unstable. I don't know. Like maybe maybe I'm just jaded. I, I feel like maybe I'm just harping on the the wild magic table a little too much. But for something that kind of permeates this entire class, I feel like there should be some element of danger. Just a little one, maybe. It is kind of neat, though, because as a barbarian, you're in the mix. You're, you're right in the middle of combat. You're going to be taking damage quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. So you would kind of want to throw yourself into danger to have the potential upside of, yeah, I just took damage, but look what just happened to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And as said before, you know, level 14, Controlled Surge. It's the same uh, feature by a different name for sorcerers. Uh, when you roll on the Wild Magic table, you may roll the d8 twice and choose uh the effect that manifests um not much to say about this it's basically the same thing as the wild magic sorcerer it's you now get to choose all right well this doesn't actually work for me but this wild magic effect does so i'm going to choose this one saying what i said about the wild magic table i am just so 
so happy that wild magic has shown itself in a martial class. It, it shouldn't just be for sorcerers. I think that wild magic as a concept, because magic is a living, breathing essence. It comes from different planes. You know, you have the Feywild, you have Shadowfell. I like the idea that um, magic permeates and lives and breathes and is ready to flare up at random times. I think, I, you know, I think that idea is really cool and it shouldn't just manifest itself in casters. I agree. And as somebody that personally really loves random effects, not just in D&D, but pretty much in every game, I like that uh, this is propping up in Barbarian, which is a class that I see played way more often than I see Sorcerer played. It could just be the players that I, I play with, um, but I'm uh, I'm happy to see a table of random effects happening more frequently in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's what I've got for uh, Barbarian. Uh, do you have any other additional thoughts that uh, maybe that you didn't get to say earlier? Uh, no, I, I think both of these sound really interesting and lend itself to some creative roleplay. Absolutely. And that's, honestly, I think that's something that players needed. 5e can be really combat-focused and combat-heavy, so adding some of these subclasses that allow for beautiful roleplay moments by using some of these, um, you know, like I said about the, the third level feature where you can kind of use the detect magic, I think that's a, a wonderful roleplay element. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I really like that about Tasha's. It feels like they're going in a direction that is more roleplay centric. There is a lot of combat stuff in here for sure, uh, but there's a lot of um, push towards roleplay and suggestions on different effects and what your character's experience might be in the game. And I, I really like that. Um, so maybe that leads into uh, the Bard class, if you, uh, unless you have more things to talk about with Barbarian. No, I'm good. I'd love to hear about Bard. Okay, so I'm really excited with Bards. They've got a couple of new subclasses, and um, like every class in Tasha's, there is a set of optional things for the Bard class specifically. Uh, consult with your DM before adding these in automatically. Um, I, I do think that they help flesh out the class and give it a lot more versatility. Uh, at level one, I think all the, the spellcasting classes in Tasha's have a bit of an expanded spell list and Bard is no exception. So for example, they have access to stuff like Color Spray and Mirror Image, um, Mass Healing Word. Uh, as a sixth level spell, you can cast Hero's Feast. Uh, in addition, there's a couple of new spells. One section of Tasha's is a whole bunch of new spells. And uh, as a third level spell, you have access to one called Intellect Fortress. And what that does is um, for the duration, it's a concentration spell goes up to an hour. You choose one creature, um, this either yourself or another one. Um, they get resistance to psychic damage as well as advantage on uh, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saves. Um, you can cast it at higher levels and choose more creatures. I, I don't think that this is necessarily a very strong spell. It's certainly very niche and situational, and in the right spot could be very good. It's not one of those utility spells that you just automatically go to. You probably are picking it because of a certain scenario or a certain thing you're about to go into. But in that situation, it could be very good. Uh, the other new spell on the expanded list is something called Dream of the Blue Veil. It's a 7th level spell. And uh, again, I think this is another situational narrative type of a spell that you're not just going to take to mess with the DM. Basically what this does, um, the duration is 6 hours. You choose yourself and up to 8 other willing creatures. Um, you all fall unconscious and kind of enter this dream realm where you're seeing these different visions of another world on the material plane. 
And if the spell is allowed to go its duration of six hours, um, you and your companions in the vision, you uh, the visions change to this blue curtain that's pulled back and you're magically, mentally and physically transported to that new realm. Um, you do have to have a magic item or willing creature from that new destination. Uh, but essentially this allows you just to transport to another, another world. Um, so again, I don't think this is a very powerful spell that you pick just for fun or to mess with the DM to go to a place he wasn't prepared for. It's more of like a narrative spell that's really cool and powerful. That sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, narratively and roleplay, this could be really cool. So th that's uh, the expanded spell list at first level. At second level, we have a thing called Magical Inspiration. And what this does is it just gives you more flexibility with what you can use your Bardic Inspiration dive for. By default, Bardic Inspiration applies to ability checks, saves, and attack rolls. And with Magical Inspiration, you have a couple more options. You could add it to um, any spell that does damage or restores hit points. It just gives you a little bit more flexibility. Oh, that's so nice. Especially as, like, you know, a healer. Um, you know, I've, I've played multiple clerics, and um, I'm inspired by the bard and i would love to do a healing spell and i blow a second level cure wounds just to get somebody off the ground and give them a decent amount of hit points and oh well look at that i rolled minimum so now they have six hit points like yep. great um but with that you know being able to heal and have just something additional it feels better yeah certainly so again just giving you some more flexibility with how your bard can be played um, and then at fourth level, the last optional class feature, uh, I think a lot of the classes have something in this vein, but basically it allows you to, at fourth level, um, you can choose a, a skill that you have uh, as the expertise feature and just replace it with another skill that isn't already benefiting from expertise. Or um, you have the flexibility to pick a cantrip that you learn from the bard list and just replace it with another bard cantrip. Um, so fourth level is kind of notorious for being that spot where you're like, okay, I'm either going to buff some stats so that I can uh, up my spell save DC or up my attack roll or my attack bonus, or I'm going to just call it a day and pick one of the three good feats. So having more stuff that you could choose from at fourth level, I think is a huge benefit. It just gives you more flexibility. So fourth level doesn't feel such a downer. Yeah, exactly. And I love, love that cantrip versatility. Um, I'm so glad. I mean, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about cantrip versatility for basically every spellcasting class uh, with Tasha's. But man, man, does it suck to get into your campaign and realize, oh man, the cantrips that I've been taking are useless. Or like I did with my uh, one of my weekly games um, where I am playing a bard, I... We're, we're now, like, quite into it, and I realized, you know what? I didn't really take anything that's damaging. I wish I had something that dealt any sort of damage. Maybe there's some cantrip I can choose that might at least do something. I don't know if there are any cantrips for Bard that deal damage, but, uh, you know, it just... I like the flexibility of being able to, later in the game, being able to swap something out that's not specifically, like, when you level up and you have to begrudgingly swap out some spells. Could do it at fourth level and pick a different cantrip. Exactly. So that is it for the class features. We have two, two new bard colleges, the first being the College of Creation. And this one is all about the idea of uh, the resonance of sound and harmony and melody, this power called the Song of Creation, capital S, um, all kind of inspiring the world itself to create life from nothing, to animate objects. 
Um, so the first thing you get, there are two features that happen right when you choose this college at third level. The first called Moat of Potential. Um, what this does is whenever somebody uses your Bardic Inspiration die, you can um, utter a note from this capital S Song of Creation and you create a tiny mode of potential. Um, it orbits that creature within five feet. It could be anything, it could take any shape. Um, for example, a musical note, a flower, a symbol, anything that represents your chosen art. Then when they use the Bardic Inspiration die, based on what it is they're using it for, it could have uh, uh, one of three different effects. If they're using Bardic Inspiration for an ability check, um, they essentially get to roll with advantage with their Bardic Inspiration die. The moat disappears, they can roll their Bardic Inspiration a second time and just choose which one to use. If their Bardic Inspiration is for as an attack roll, this one's really neat, I think. Um, the moat uh, shatters and e that the target and each or, and each creature of your choice that you can see within five feet of it has to succeed on a con save. Um, if they fail, they take uh, thunder damage equal to the number rolled on the Bardic Inspiration die. So even if you use your Bardic Inspiration on an attack roll and it still fails, you can use this mode of potential and still cause damage, which I think is really powerful. That is so cool. Yeah, definitely. Or, or it's bonus damage if you succeed, too. Uh, lastly, if they're using Bardic Inspiration for a save, um, the moat vanishes and you hear this sound of soft music, and that creature gains temporary hit points equal to the number uh, on the Bardic Inspiration die roll plus your Charisma modifier. So it's a little bit of a bonus on a save. Again, even if you fail the save, you still get bonus hit points. Uh, so that's mode of potential. Very, very cool. Very uh, useful and powerful, I think. God, yeah. Like, you know, just sitting here and listening to you talk about this, it is such a reward for the player to use this mode of potential. Like, um, you know, it's really good when you're, it's a good feeling when your bard, uh, if you have one in your party, decides to bardically inspire you and you're able to use that on your ability check, attack roll, or saving throw and you're like, all right, whew, I've got hopefully an out uh, and hopefully this this will work. But now you have these really awesome bonuses that make you feel really good about your decision, um, especially that attack roll one too. Like, it sucks to use your Bardic Inspiration and roll a one and do no damage because it still missed. So it still rewards you with, yeah, well, it's going to blow up anyway and still do some damage. Yeah, and then, and then you kind of feel bad for your Bard. You use their Inspiration and still fail, then, you know... Okay, sorry, Bard. I guess it didn't work out this time. You look back at your Bard with tears in your eyes saying, I'm mm -hmm. so sorry. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the second thing you get at third level with the College of Creation, you get this right away because you take the College at third level, is this thing called Performance of Creation. I'm actually going to combine this with the 14th level feature because they kind of work in tandem. Um, but basically what Performance of Creation allows you to do is to create a non-magical item. Um, it's uh, media size medium or smaller. Um, it has a faint glimmer that it emits. You can hear uh, music when you touch it, a sound of soft music when you touch it. It disappears after a number of hours equal to your proficiency bonus. And the key here is that it has it can have a gold value of up to 20 times your bard level. So at level three, it can be up to 60 gold worth of value. At fifth level, it's 100 gold and etc. Um, you can have one of these at a time. You can use this feature uh, once per uh, long rest, unless you trade out a second level or higher spell slot. And my first thought on reading this was, okay, wizard, so you want my bard to make a bunch of junk and sell it to a random vendor? Is that really the intended use? And the more I thought about it, well, I thought, yeah, that's exactly what they want you to do. <laughs> they want your bard to, uh, this is just one idea, is 
you know, if you're a bard short on gold, you can make something that's, it doesn't even matter what it is, a dagger worth up to 60 gold. Find some vendor that you don't really care about your reputation with because the thing's going to disappear in a couple hours and hopefully swindle them out of some money. Um, you could also use it for, you know, hey, is your rogue out of arrows or did their bow break? Well, you can make one in combat just with this feature. You know, are, did you get you know thrown in jail and you're bound up with some ropes? Well, magically make yourself a dagger and cut yourself free. Um, the other uh, useful thing, I think this is a bunch more practical, is... Um, you're now best friends with any spellcaster that needs material components for their spell. Um, you know, if, if you ever played a wizard and wanted to cast Find Familiar, but you're like, I don't have 10 gold worth of magic charcoal. Well, buddy up to your bard now because they can just make it and you can um, do that, you know, once per day uh, to cast Find Familiar. Or if, um, you know, later on, uh, this is the neater, the, the, the really cool part at 14th level. Um, basically, this, uh, the number of items that you can create increases to whatever your charisma mod is um, the other really cool thing is the gold limit just goes away so at 14th level you're a pretty powerful bard um, you can now start making those 1000 gold diamonds for resurrect spells or the thousand gold um, chalices with the gem encrusted chalices for heroes feast which by the way as mentioned bards can cast uh, heroes feast uh, if you take the optional expanded spell list um, so I think these two in tandem are just super powerful for the bard's ability to fuel their spell casters that have, um, material component requirements. You know, at fifth level, you can make those, uh, 100 gold pearls for wizards that want to cast identify. And obviously you need to keep doing this because the item will disappear after a certain number of hours. Um, but I think these are, are really cool and really powerful. So you're telling me that Wizards of the Coast has decided that, the Bard College of Creation is now the sugar daddy of the party. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, you need to... Yeah, or you could even use it to, you know, create an item and place it on somebody and frame them for theft or something like that. Um, now, I should note, it doesn't specify the complexity uh, of the item. I don't know if you can magically create a forged document of sorts, you know, for example. Um, I think if I were the DM, I would rule anything that's listed as one item as you know, an, a single item that you can create. For example, I think you could probably create a thousand ball bearings because that's a single item in the player's handbook, um, just for example. Uh, but yeah, a lot of really creative uses for this spell, for sure, that aren't just making material components or making uh, items that you, that you pawn off uh, on some random vendor. Yeah, 100%. This seems like such a powerful... Um, the more creative you get, the more powerful the spell can become. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it does. The size that you can create does increase. It scales at sixth level. You can create large items at fourteenth level. It's huge items. Um, but again, I think the key is just the gold value of these things and the flexibility of you know what you possibly could do with it. Um, so enough on that one. The the other feature that you get with the cause of creation is a sixth level feature. This one's called animating performance. This lets you pick a large or smaller non-magical item that you can see, um, and you animate it magically. You know, calling on the song of creation. Um, it's uh, friendly to you. It uses for your proficiency bonus. You can use a bonus action to command it to take an action. Tasha's does include a stat block for dancing item. Uh, which is super nice, and uh, I'll just go through these pretty quickly because it's got some good stats. It's got uh, 16 uh, AC, 
hit points equal to 10 plus 5 times your bard level. So at 6th level, it's got 40 hit points. Um, it's got some good stats, 18 strength, 14 dex. Um, it's got a 30-foot movement speed, 30-foot flying, parentheses, hovering speed. Um, you know, it rolls for a, a 1d10 plus your proficiency damage. Um, the, uh, the animated item has your spell attack modifier to hit. Um, you can use a bonus action to command it to take an action. Um, interesting to note is you can, if you use your bardic inspiration as a bonus action, you can combine that with bonus action command this item to do something. So you're not bound to only using bonus action make this item do something. You can kind of like make some really efficient turns, you know, action, animate an item, bonus action, bardic inspiration, and make your item take an, uh, take an attack action, for example. Um, so pretty useful. You can do this once per long rest, um, unless you trade a third level spell slot or higher. You can only have one item at a time. Um, and it, uh, yeah, I think this lasts for one hour or until it's reduced to hit zero hit points. So for a class that's not normally creating, uh, you know, a, a companion of sorts or, they, you know, they, they can't do find familiar, um, the ability to create a, a, a buddy to attack with you in combat, I think is really cool for bards. It reminds me of... Uh, you know, Disney's Beauty and the Beast or Mary Poppins or something like that. Yeah, you get uh, bed knobs and broomsticks, Angela Lansbury trying to get the, the dressers <laughs> in the beds floating exactly. around. Exactly. So, yeah, Bard College Creation I think is really cool. It, it lends itself to a lot of really interesting role play. And as we're talking about with Barbarian, a lot of opportunity to be creative and do some unique things that, um, you know, bards aren't maybe used to doing. So... Uh, that's about it on, on the College of Creation. The College of Eloquence is up next, and it has one of the most powerful bard things that I've ever seen, which we'll get to. The College of Eloquence is all about using uh, logic and theatrical wordplay, winning over your audience, um, knowing the right thing to say at the right time. Um, and in fact, the first two things you get, the, the first two third-level features, first one is called Silver Tongue, which is all about saying the right thing at the right time. Whenever you make a persuasion or deception check, you treat anything that's a 9 or lower as a 10. And we've seen something like this before in Rogues with, I think it's called the Reliable Talent, where for anything, they just treat anything 9 or lower as a 10. But that's for, that's an 11th level ability. This is a 3rd level ability, um, and it's for things that are specific to bards that you're going to be doing anyways. Persuasion and deception. Yeah, anytime your bard's been, you know caught doing something bad by a shopkeeper or interrogated by some town guards. Um, uh, you're trying to talk your way out of it and oops, you rolled a one. Well, it's now a 10 because you know what to say at the right time with your bardic silver tongue. So I think that's a really, um, a really cool feature. The other one at third level is something called unsettling words. And um, you use your words to cast doubt in your target. Um, so you you take your bardic inspiration, you roll it, uh, and a creature you can see within 60 feet um, has to subtract that number that you rolled from their next save before the start of your next turn. So this one is kind of similar to Bane, but what I like about this is, one, it's not a spell, so you're not burning a spell slot. Two, it uses your bardic inspiration die, so it scales as you grow stronger, as opposed to simply being a d4. And three... Um, they don't save against it. It's just an automatic thing. Where Bane is, they have to make a, a save to see if it actually succeeds. Um, the downside is Bane, you know, it's concentration for up to a minute. This one is you have to um, have it take effect before the start of your next turn. So similar to Bane, it works best in tandem with 
somebody else doing something, you know, if you can work together with your party and plan your attack and you know that someone's going to make them roll a save, you know, you might want to use unsettling words and burn a bardic inspiration and make it much more likely that they're going to hit. You know, when you're rolling D6s and eventually D8s, eventually D12s, this gets really strong. Yeah, and that makes, um, you know, it kind of fills that gap for, like, lore bards that have cutting words. You know, the cutting words is for attacks and ability checks um, that you you, you expend a, a use of your bardic inspiration to subtract that from that. That's something that we don't often see is saves. So I think it's really cool that this unsettling words affects their saving throws, which could keep a creature bound by hold person or bound by a grapple or things like that. It just worsens their situation rather than an attack, which I think is really useful. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, it's the, the, the idea of saying the right thing at the right time, but in a negative sense. You, you say the right thing to make this creature doubt itself so much that they, you know, have a have a, uh, a detractor to their next save. They throw so much shade and read this bitch to filth, <laughs> so that they don't even know. Exactly. You gaslight the person, and they don't even know if they're gonna make the save or not. Yeah, I think that's what they should have been called: is gaslighting words. Yes, ga- just gaslighting. So next up at sixth level, we have a feature called universal speech, and what this does is, um, as an action, you can choose uh, one or more creatures up to. Uh, number equal to your charisma modifier within 60 feet, and they magically understand your language for the next hour. Um, you get to do this once per day, or you can burn a spell slot to do it more. Any any level of spell slot to do it more. Um, should note that this is a one-way street. It's not like you can understand each other in conversation. It's just they can understand you, what you're saying. So this, I, I don't know that this is very useful. It's sort of situational. Um, could be useful in a situation where you're up against some somewhat intelligent enemies that don't speak common and you want to try to talk them out of it, um, talk them into standing down, for example. Um, but I, I don't see that this is being very useful. One, because like most creatures in D&D speak common. And if you've got a party of any reasonable size, it seems somewhat likely that someone speaks the language of the thing you're encountering. So I, I don't know how useful this thing could possibly be, the universal speech. Yeah, I mean, especially because you have the third level spell of tongues. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I don't know. It is a, it, it's a toss up. Uh, rather, would you like to spend this third level spell slot, or, you know, use this universal speech feature? It, it feels, it feels more to me like they ran out of ideas and needed to come up with something that was still in the theme of the College of Eloquence, saying the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, who knows? Maybe I'm simply limited by my own creative barriers, and there could be someone out there that's like, oh, I know exactly when that would be really useful. Yeah, call in. Drop us a line. Send us a fax. Give us your ideas. I'd love to know what you think that'd be useful for. Send me a stone tablet chiseled with your ideas. Smoke signals. Let's go back to that. Exactly. So the, the last two, and I'm going to kind of put these together too because I think they also work in tandem. Um, Probably the most powerful bard feature that I've ever seen. At sixth level, you have this thing called unfailing inspiration. And it is literally what it sounds like. Whenever uh, a creature uses one of your bardic inspiration die to roll an ability check, attack roll, or save, and it fails, they don't lose the bardic inspiration die. They keep it. They can use it again later. So should note, you don't get to keep rolling this over and over until you succeed. It's just you roll once, and if you fail, you don't lose it. And you can use it again later. So I'm imagining a scenario where 
once you have this unfailing inspiration and you're as a bard are start you know handing out bardic inspiration like they're candy your your allies they roll and they fail well they don't lose the die so you're just stockpiling all these bardic inspiration and at, at some point everyone has inspiration all the time because they never fail they're they're you know they they either succeed and they use it up you have to do it again or they fail and they keep the die so i think that's incredibly powerful oh absolutely because you are literally saying the right thing to your teammate to make sure that they succeed yeah uh, exactly and i think uh the 14th level feature that really pushes this into the realms of holy shit bards are really powerful borderline broken at 14th level but you're 14th level everybody should be pretty broken at that point anyways you have something called infectious inspiration and when you successfully inspire someone you uh, your eloquence gets to spread to somebody else so basically when uh, a creature within 60 feet of you adds one of your bardic inspiration die to an ability check attack roll saving throw and they succeed you can use your reaction to encourage another creature other than yourself that can hear you within 60 feet give it a bardic inspiration die and you don't spend any of your bardic inspiration uses you can do this reaction a number of times equal to your charisma modifier um you get your your stuff uh, all back after a long rest so once again i'm imagining this scenario where you give someone inspiration they use their die and they either succeed and you use your reaction to give another person bardic inspiration without spending bardic inspiration or they fail and they keep the die so uh, and because it specifically says you can use your reaction to give another person bardic inspiration die i'm imagining that this just kind of cascades where eventually you know person a gets an inspiration they succeed use your reaction to give another player inspiration and now that new that new second person can either succeed when you actually just use your reaction again to give a third person reaction or inspiration or they just keep the die and everyone just has bardic inspiration all the time I'm imagining that that scenario where everyone is just inspired constantly. Oh my god. That's incredible. That, <laughs> that's insane. And at 14th level, I think your... I'd have to check, but I think your bardic inspiration at that point should be like a D12, right? Uh, either D10 or 12, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I think the College of Eloquence at that point is... Those two things combined are the most powerful bard things that I've ever seen. Yeah, especially because, you know, like you said, you are giving out your um, bardic inspiration like candy when you do oh, yeah. have that many uh, uses. And I think the level 20 bard feature is if you don't have any uses of bardic inspiration, you gain one. Yeah, <laughs> so that's pretty powerful. So one can turn into a team-wide inspiration. And and to think of like the scenario where you'd actually need to use your bardic inspiration would be where everyone succeeds. I guess I'm not even sure how this would happen, but you'd need enough people to succeed, enough people to fail, I think. I don't even know. At that point, could you even lose bardic inspiration? Could somebody, is there a scenario where you'd have to actually use your inspiration at that point? If people are succeeding and you're just chaining them together, and if they're failing, they just keep the die. Is it even possible to run out of inspiration? I'm going to go ahead and say no, and I think that the min-maxers <laughs> would agree. Yeah, and I don't even think that's min-max at that point. I think that's just how this college works. It's just you're so inspiring. You say the right thing constantly that everyone is just always inspired by you. God, if only. 
I think uh, that's a pretty powerful class. I'm really excited for both of these. Just to kind of sum up, I think um, the College of Creation is really cool. Your ability to create items and, you know, use them in a really versatile way, whether it's for gold, whether it's for spell components, whether it's for, you know, giving your rogue some extra arrows or creating a dagger for yourself um, is really cool. The ability to create these dancing items that attack for you in combat, you know, as bards are not really known for being melee fighters or really doing a whole lot of damage in combat it's nice to have that go-to and then the college of eloquence being able to just be so inspiring constantly obviously that's a it's a huge benefit um i think these two subclasses of bard are, are quite powerful and give you a lot of uh, options for different role playing and um a lot of versatility in how you want to do it yeah i i completely agree um i think they knocked it out of the park when it came to the bard subclasses in regards to uh, consistency and a common theme. I think that thematically all of their abilities are, are pretty incredible when it comes to summing up the class itself um, and these subclasses. Um, and, you know, I said what I said about the wild magic table, but I will say um, I think these two subclasses for barbarian, at the end of the day, versatility it brings up such a a wide range of things that the player can choose the barbarian to do and how they would like to create the barbarian rather than just put the axe in the hand of the muscle person and watch them do their thing. I agree, and I think that's a good um, way to frame Tasha's as a whole. Uh, I have read ahead and looked at a lot of these other classes as well. It seems like they are giving you more versatility, more flexibility, and encouraging you to think more about how your character exists in the world um, and how you might roleplay them differently outside of just being a simple block of stats. Exactly. Give the people what they want, versatility. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, feel free to stop by for future episodes, which will be released every Wednesday. Next week, we will continue our journey through Tasha's Cauldron of Everything as we discuss the cleric and druid subclasses and everything that Tasha has to offer them. This has been Discussions in Dragons. I'm Britton. And I'm Jiren. See you next time. <laughs>